Uh, so I have no problem with the idea that if you want to take me out to a really good restaurant, we want to go and do the whole whining and dining. I'm sorry, code of conduct. No whining, only dining. Um, so if we're going to go out and do that, then I'm all for that. But at the same time, I tell you what, I'm just as good as if you call me up and say, hey, I'm running down to McDee's to get some cheeseburgers and some fries. Actually, I love McDonald's fries. Really like McDonald's fries. And I'm not the only one in my household who does. Uh, so Joey, who's our eight-year-old, he also loves McDonald's fries. And we, every chance we get. Now, a few of you are in my wife's class, correct? Or have taken my wife's class before. Uh, she teaches what? Nutrition, yes, okay. She's a naturopath. She has a doctorate in being a naturopath. Can you imagine what my home is like? So you got to understand, for us, food is very important because we never know what we're going to get. And I can tell you there are moments that mom is gone, like she's going to go on a trip, so she'll be down in Wichita or something for the day. And, and Joey hears that she's going to be gone, and this is what happens. Papa, please, take me to McDonald's. And, and it's funny because as he comes to me and asks, he even says, he goes to the point, he'll say, Daddy, Daddy he calls me Dada. He goes, Dada, Mommy doesn't have to know. And I said, I know, but you got an older brother, and he's the, in our household, he's the tattletale. And, and, and Joe, Joey's like, no, no, I already talked to him. We're not going to tell on you. You're not going to get in trouble. I've talked to God. And if Jeremiah says anything, Jeremiah's our nine-year-old, I'll blow him up. <laughs> so, so you see that it's very important. And it is. I mean, they go there, and, and, and Joey just gets so excited because he gets that. And, it, and it's all about the value meal. And both he, him and I, he likes a Big Mac. I like the two cheeseburgers and fries. That's what we do every time we go. And it is important to us because we enjoy the taste of food. And like I said, I'm married to a naturopath, so we don't always know what's going to happen. Now, I love my wife. She's wonderful. As a first lady, she does a great job. She takes care of the kids and the household and the visitation, and she visits with donors, does all kinds of things. And every day, she makes sure there's food on the table, the table's set, so that we can share as a family. But honestly, folks, sometimes when I walk in and the table is set, and there are flowers on the table. I don't know if it's a celebration or that's dinner. And that is scary when you live with a naturopath because you just don't know what you're going to get. And Pastor Zach knows this to a point because for a number of years we lived in the dormitory. We were resident directors in Parsons. And my, my wife, uh, the first lady, she would cook. Uh, and, you, you know, when you're, you're in college, if it's out there and it's edible, you're going to eat it, right? I mean, it's just that's what's on the table. So she loved to cook brownies. And so she cooked brownies one day and served them out there, and everyone ate them. And honestly, people enjoyed them. Now, we couldn't really understand, though, why we were picking things out of our teeth after eating the brownies, because come to find out, the naturopath wife that I have decided to cook brownies not out of chocolate and sugar, and flour, but beans. She made beans. You remember that, Zach? Yep. Bean brownies. That's what it was. And so what we were picking out were the little skins of the kidney beans. And I, I just looked at her and said, dear, dear, please understand that if you are going to put 
beans in brownies, then they should only be cocoa beans, never kidney beans. What are you putting kidney beans in brownies for? But that's the life of living with a naturopath. So I say all that because I want you to understand that food has an important place in my life. And I will give a shout out, Dr. Cromwell, I see you back there, makes the best shortbread that I know. I love it. If you ever get a chance, go to the top floor and eat. Now you're going to have to make some for everybody. Sorry, Dr. Cromwell. Um, but food is important. I love it. I enjoy it. Uh, and it's great. So what I, when, when I had the chance to talk about this issue today, this idea that God is the master chef, and therefore, we are a masterpiece. I just jumped at the chance because this is a great concept for me that God is this master chef. And I want to unwrap that a little bit and then this concept that we are masterpieces. So just over the next few minutes, if you've got a device or something, just put it away for a few minutes because I believe that God wants to speak to you during these moments. So just give him a little bit of attention, if not for me, to see what he might say to you this morning. So... Let's start off with hunger. I think that we can all understand the idea that uh, hunger is a natural part of, of living, right? Yeah? Are you with me? Okay, hunger, right? If we get hungry, what do we do? Good. See, that college degree is working out for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah we eat. Um, we eat. And so I, I mean, none of us would be shocked if... Uh, if we walked in and somebody said, I'm hungry, can you give me something to eat? It's not like, oh, you want to eat? Um, you know, we understand it. You're hungry, you're going to eat. Um, none of us would argue that hunger is a natural outcome, uh, or sorry, eating is a natural outcome of hunger. At the same time, I think that we can recognize that there are good ways and bad ways that we can go about filling our hunger, right? I mean, if you take nutrition class with my wife, you learn about the science behind how some foods, uh, all, you know, what, what the science is, how some foods increase the body's ability to function, while there are many foods that even though they fill you up, they don't necessarily help you function very well. But let me restate that again. Both will fill you up, right? Both will take care of the hunger. It's just a question of whether the food is good for you or bad for you. Well, I want to argue a little bit this morning, or at least amplify this idea that the same is true for your emotional life, for your spiritual life, even your cognitive life, that, that there's ways of feeding those hungers that are good for you and bad for you. Um, does that make sense? Because, look, all throughout our lives, we're going to have hungers that emerge, hungers that that come out of who we are naturally. Uh, and they're going to make themselves known throughout our lifetime. And like hunger, those needs are not necessarily bad. Nobody, again, nobody's shocked when you get hungry. It's natural. You're supposed to get hungry. It's a part of who you are. There are other hungers that emerge in our lifetime too. Those are natural. They are part of who we are. Just who we are. Now, I recognize that it's February I recognize that we just got done with Valentine's Day, so I thought this would be appropriate to discuss this hunger at this time. One of the hungers that exists in all of our lives at some point or another is the need for love and companionship, right? I mean, it is what it is. We need it. 
not so much in junior high. In junior high, everything, you know, cooties, no, we didn't love him. Yeah, that's not so good. But eventually, that, that, that need, that hunger begins to grow. That need for companionship, that need for love, it grows into physical intimacy. It grows into sensuality. Eventually, by the time you get around your age and a little younger, high school, it grows into that need for sex. I said it in a church in chapel. Sex. Now, I want to make sure that you understand that that need, any of those needs, whether it's companionship, it's intimacy, it's sexuality, uh, all that, that's, it's just a hunger. In and of itself, it's, it's, it's not good nor bad. It is a hunger. It's a part of who we are, right? I mean, God created it. God gave it to us. The hunger emerges out of the fact that we were created by God. So we shouldn't be shocked by this need, right? Does that make sense? With me? Now, for most of us, like I said, junior high is not so much, but that, that hunger begins to grow. And by the time we get into college and high school, high school and college, well, it kind of, that dull ache begins to really, really, really emerge as a real hunger, which drives us to do something about it because we, we need to. And this is where I want to divide the road a little bit because one way for us to meet that hunger is to visit the master chef. Zach, if you can go two forward. Um, and, and that is to visit what we call the Restaurante Paradiso, the master chef, God himself. Does that make sense? So we can go visit his restaurant. We can walk in, be welcomed by the maitre d' who says, hello, how might we bless you today? And response is, I, I need a woman. Okay, I need a woman. Okay, well, here, have a seat, and let me put the order in with the chef. Meantime, you have a seat. Major D goes in, says, hey, Dad, we got someone out here. He needs a woman. And back you hear from there, oh, yes, 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 I got it, I got it. I got the perfect ingredients. I'll make a great, great dish. And so in the back, the master chef, God himself, begins the process of putting together the perfect ingredients, knowing all of your personal tastes and needs, knowing all of your todays and all of your tomorrows, knowing your deepest longings, he goes about preparing for you this culinary delight, okay? It's going to be a dish unequal in presentation, guaranteed to satiate your hunger for years and years to come, for a lifetime. However, it's taking a little longer than you expected. I mean, because, right? I mean, you go to a fine restaurant, that's what happens. You put your order in, and there it goes, and then you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Now, of course, you know the reputation of this master chef. You know that, that he knows what he's doing. You, you know his, his reputation is well known, that he's exclusive, uh, that everything he serves is great. Um, and, and I mean, you know he created everything in the first place. So who better to create for you something that meets your needs? And you know if you just hang on just a little bit longer, you'll be presented a dish without equal. Scripture tells us that the master chef is actually eager to do this for us. He wants to cook for us. 
God, it's just real quick little scriptures that show up. You know, God will supply every need according to his riches and glory. Cast all your anxieties on him because why? He cares for you. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. So you know that if you just wait, if you just would be content for a little bit longer, he'll serve the perfect dish. However, as you're sitting there, you know, uh, I don't know, eat, eating some dating. You know, like, that's your, your appetizer's a little dating. <laughs> but you're hungry. And you notice, right across the street, there's another restaurant, right across the street. And you can see people walking in and out. And so you decide, against all your better judgment, against all the evidence, ignoring the five-star testimonies, Putting all of it aside, you choose to go to McDevitt's. Now, you walk in, and you notice that the dining room is full. So you think it can't be that, fat, bad, that bad. Surely it's not that bad. In fact, some of your teammates are already eating. So surely it isn't that bad, right? So you walk up to the counter, and then somebody comes up and says, Oh, how can we help you? Yeah, I want a woman. Okay, can we interest you in a value meal today? What, what is that? Well, uh, number one is internet pornography, two, premarital sex, three, oral experimentation, and four, for a limited time, we're having McOrgy. I, 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 I don't know. I'll just take a number one. Oh, okay, great. Would you like that supersized? You could do that? Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay, supersize me. All right. Um, sure, could, could we interest you in being fried with that? I mean, could we interest you in some fries with that? Yeah, 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 fine, whatever, whatever. And, and boom, there it goes. Your order is at, and somewhere back in that kitchen, some pimply demon begins to assemble uh, your order and places it before you, and excitedly you grab the tray and you ravenously begin to partake of your meal, never questioning the fact that the ingredients that you are eating have absolutely no value whatsoever other than the fact that they temporarily fill you up. In fact, if you take a quick look around, you would realize that all the food being served in this place is pretty much the same prefabricated artery filling, spiritually undermining, emotionally depleting slop. But oh, it tastes so good. And I'm not hungry anymore. And that's the crux of the problem. That's the crux of the problem between uh, the idea of the master chef and McDevils. Because McDevils, let's face it, McDevils just tastes so darn good, and it does fill me up. And of course, McDevils has absolutely no concern for your well-being because the entire point of McDevils is not about your health and well-being, but it's about feeding your hunger in whatever means possible to keep you coming back for more and to keep you away from the master chef. McDevils does not want you going there. They want to keep you here. And the Bible actually speaks to this very point. Proverbs 23.3 says, Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. McDevil. 
Psalm 141, uh, 4 amplifies this uh, in perspective. It says, don't, be, don't let your heart be drawn to what is evil so that you take part in wicked deeds along with those evildoers. And it says specifically, it says, do not eat of their delicacy. So the scripture recognizes that McDevils taste good. It fills us up. It's yummy. But it's not good. In essence, the Bible is recognizing that McDevils is all about producing these savory delights that are pleasing to the taste buds, providing you with a quick fix, but lacking any level of nourishment, providing pleasure, yes, but lacking in sustenance. And of course we understand this, at least cognitively, at least up here, we understand this. I mean, I know how bad fast food is for me, but I often find myself through the drive-thru getting those two cheeseburgers, medium, and those fries. But of course, part of it is convenience. I mean, that's part of it. God's way, the master chef way, the more excellent way, just doesn't fit our kind of fast-paced, instant gratification, get it your way right away, you deserve it now kind of society. So we ignore the work of the master chef. We discount his service. We neglect his offerings and, and ultimately reject his invitation to dine at his table. And sadly, we are fully cognizant of the fact that eating at McDevil's is undermining what God desires for us. We know it. We, we understand it. We fight it. And secretly, we hope that God would just slip us what we need on the side, but yet allow us to go Chow down on a Big Mac at McDevil's. In the meantime, we just kind of keep justifying our one more time fast food frenzies, telling ourselves that, hey, one more time's not going to hurt. Just one more time on that internet site or one more time with that person. Surely that's not going to hurt. I'll just do a little extra workout in the morning. You know, I'll run it off. And years later, the doctor's pulling French fries out of our arteries because of our one-time, last-time visits to McDevil's. And the same is true for our spiritual journeys. I know that sin is destructive. I know that sin is destructive. And I know that the McDevil lifestyle doesn't allow me to live the excellent life that God desires for me. But for some reason, I keep getting drawn back. Sometimes it's not even so much an issue of sin. It's just an easy that it's just, it's easier. Going to McDevil's, living a McDevil's lifestyle is just easier. So we ignore the invitation to do good. So that's what I'm saying. It's not just sin. Sometimes it's just ignoring the invitation to do good, to take the easier route. And unfortunately, as much as we tried to justify our continued, this is the last time visits to McDevil's, the truth is that each visit that we take at McDevil's deters us from enjoying the rich blessings and the rich roles that God has for us. And this way, we begin the habit of really choosing um, McNuggets over the master. And in so doing, we miss the opportunity to be the masterpieces that God desires for us to be. And we miss the masterpieces that he desires to give us. Psalm 
36.8 tells us that God desires to feed us with blessings from his own table, letting us drink from rivers of delight. See, see it in this way, God is like a master chef who alone holds all the secrets of creating lives that are rich for us, that are full of blessing for us. Furthermore, he desires to provide with us lives rich with meaning and value and partnership. However, like any good master chef, time and trust is the cost that we have to be willing to invest. And that requires us to find contentment in the knowledge of knowing that God is working even though we might not see it happening in front of us. And that's not easy when McDevils is throwing McNuggets at us all the time. For every time we, we nugget munch, we ruin our desire for the delicacies that God wishes to prepare for us. In fact, eventually we begin to lose any desire to eat at the master table at all because we begin to prefer instead to subdue our hungers by bowing to the altar of the upside-down golden arches. Matthew 5, 6 asserts that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That means in order to truly find fulfillment, we need to become comfortable with a little bit of hunger. Like we, we need to. As I could tell Joe and Jay at, before dinner time, you know, it's dinner time. They're hungry, so they want to just go to the refrigerator and start eating. But if they do, they're going to ruin their appetite, right? We understand that. If we eat before the meal, we ruin the appetite. So we have to get used to a little hunger. Hunger is part of the process. That desire is part of who we are in order to allow God to ultimately then fulfill that hunger. In, in the language of the college, in the core four, as we look at character development, that's all about applying grit, determination, and devotion, aspects of the soul and strength parts of the core four. I'm reminded of the passage in Isaiah that tells us, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. In other words, if you read this a little differently, they will be nourished for the journey, becoming masterpieces. They will mount up as wings with wings like eagles, masterpieces, so they themselves can savor the masterpiece that God has for them. All of that to say um, that that we we understand this concept. All right, McDevils and and and, and this master chef. Now, I want to I wanna just kind of shift real quick. We, the hunger's over here. Let's shift to ingredients for just a minute. Thus far, I've highlighted this idea that God is a master chef and he desires to prepare a masterpiece for you. But in addition, um, I'd like to emphasize the fact that he not only desires to produce a masterpiece for you, but that he would like to produce you into a masterpiece. Now, as discussed earlier, McDevils is not so much in the industry of actually feeding people. Sure, people eat there, but they don't really get fed. The stomach is full, but the body suffers because it wants something more. The same is true for our souls. McDevils can meet the need. It can meet the hunger, kind of, 
but it can leave your soul lifeless, starving for more nourishment. And that is because the ingredients he uses to entice us are not chosen for their value, but for the allure with a focus on getting you to come back for more. We see this happening all over the food industry. Uh, and especially if you take the first lady's class, she'll preach this to you all the time. The tendency, we, we have a tendency not to question the ingredients because we just want to know if it tastes good. Does it taste good? In fact, some of us don't even want to know what's in the stuff we eat because it might interfere with us wanting to eat it. And we like the taste, so we just don't want to know. Interestingly, in my time with the First Lady, let me just give you a short list of some of the things I didn't know until she told me and ruined my life. Chewing gum. Did you know there's wool in chewing gum? That bread, especially at restaurants, many times have human hair as a part of that. Crunched up beetles are in any kind of red dye yogurt. Sawdust is put into your cheese, Parmesan cheese. Wax in your gummy bears. Now, that one I can almost believe because they taste like wax. Um, how about this one? Beaver butt juice in ice cream. If you eat chili at Wendy's, there's actually sand in it. There's flame retardant in soda. Silly putty in fountain drinks. And poop in strawberry ice cream. Or at least a chemical that is closely related to poop. Yeah, See, I ruined it. You know, why do you tell me that? Because, because I want to eat those things. But see, the ingredients are not necessarily good, but it doesn't matter. And, and look, some of you are going to turn around and go, beaver butt juice, but it tastes good. <laughs> and, and that's my point. I, I think it's important to point out that McDevils is not all at all interested in your well-being, it does not care about how the ingredients benefit you. As much as it's concerned about keeping you addicted, it just wants you there. It wants to keep you there, just keep you coming back for more, not to take care of you. And we do keep coming back for more. Now, the master chef is not like that. He's working with the best ingredients to ensure of the highest quality. However, we don't always recognize that fact. In fact, a good many of us might even say that God kind of sucks at picking out good ingredients. Look at my life. I mean, I can say that. Look at my life. And maybe you can say that too. When I look at my life, I can't see good ingredients sometimes. Actually, I could, I could point to a number of really bad ingredients in my life. So why do you want me to trust a master chef who can't seem to pick out good ingredients? But think about it for a moment. None of us, when we're hungry, well, I don't know, you're college students, so who knows. But none of us tend to, when we get a hankering to eat something, go to the fridge and pull out a hunk of butter and start chewing on the butter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just not part of who we are. Um, nor do we go to the cupboard and get a cup of flour and start licking it while we're watching the game to, because we're hungry. Um, truth be told, Many of the ingredients that we use to cook things actually individually and by themselves are not tasteful at all. They're, they're not good. I mean, think about a typical, I don't know, cupcake or cake, you know, butter. 
I'm not going to eat that by itself. Raw eggs, there's some people that drink them, but not my thing. Flour by itself, baking soda, even cocoa powder, just eating cocoa powder is disgusting. Sugar, I mean, first couple of teaspoons maybe, but after that it's like, <laughs> um, but yet in the hands of a master chef, these individual ingredients, though individually don't make sense, don't look appetizing. When they're put together, they create a mouth-watering outcome under the careful creation of a master chef. And life, like, look, life is very much a mixing bowl of good and bad things. For every cup of good, um, there's often a measure of tragedy, of loss, of pain. Still in the right hands, the bitter parts become better in the hands of a master chef. Vinegar is a perfect example. Vinegar, in and of itself, vinegar is bitter. However, it is often used in baking because its presence in the recipe is what allows a cake to be fluffy and remain moist at the same time. Without the, without the vinegar, you'd have a flat, sweet-tasting hockey puck. The vinegar is what gives it life. It's what gives it its moistness. It's what gives it, uh, 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 yeah, fluff. <laughs> it's what makes it interesting. The bitter, in fact, is needed in order for the recipe to work. And I think there's a truth that we must come to terms with. If you are to realize the masterpiece that God is designing in and through you, God never promised, and it bothers me when there's people who stand on a platform like this that promise that once you give to your life to Jesus, all becomes easy. There's a certain element on the spiritual realm where that is somewhat true, but life itself doesn't necessarily become easier. It doesn't, that doesn't mean that, that life under the master chef is all about flowers and rainbows. Trusting God does not mean we get to escape the tough parts of life. Pain sometimes is just part of the recipe. In fact, sometimes trusting God may mean that in order to complete the masterpiece of you, more pain needs to be added to the mix. The key is understanding that we are not defined. You are not defined by a singular ingredient in your life. Does that make sense? God, as the master chef, is following a recipe. Bitter is only one ingredient. Pain might be another. Loss might be another. However, in the hands of the master chef, the final product is a masterpiece of his design, perfectly crafted and carefully done. In Ephesians 2.10, we're told that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpieces. But that's not always easy to see. When I'm baking, there are times that I look at the ingredients on the list and I think, uh, mm, really? Not sure. And the same may be true of us. When we look in the mirror, when we look at ourselves and our lives, we may turn around and say, what, what, what kind of masterpiece can I be? Look at my life. 
Look at what I am. Look at the things that I've done. Look at what I'm doing right now. Look at how much I've eaten McNuggets and French fries and Big Macs. There's no way that God can see me as a masterpiece. Here's the simple thing, though. We are not the chefs. God is. As the master chef, God sees what I can become. He doesn't look just at the ingredients, but he sees the final outcome. His sights are on our potential, not necessarily on our present. In this way, we do ourselves a disservice when we overly focus on one ingredient or a few ingredients, one issue, giving it more attention than the entire recipe that God is following. But here again is that issue of trust, trusting. We know that the Bible says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But we get antsy, seeking comfort at McDevil's. But I want you to hear this this morning. God is the master chef. You are a masterpiece. Now, I recognize that many of us may not recognize that as we look at ourselves. You may love God, we really may, or at least maybe in all this time that we've spent together, you're at least okay with the idea that there is a God that loves me, but you don't understand my life is full of the bitter. For some of you, it's because others put bitter in your life, but for many of us, the bitter is there because of the choices we've made. We can't see ourselves as masterpieces. But I'm here just to tell you this morning, to remind you what multiple people have said before, who've stood before me. If you think the bitter that you bear is an obstacle to the master chef, you've got it all wrong. Because he can take a bitter batter and make it into a distinctive delicacy if you'll just trust him to do so. So that's my challenge really for you this morning is to think about that dual reality. God is a master chef. He knows what you need and he knows how to put it together in a way that will make you full of joy, peace, contentment. At the same time, I want you to hear that each one of you are masterpieces. You said it earlier in the scripture before the song. He knit you together. He formed you. He has an interest in you. He has an outcome that he desires for you. You are a masterpiece. Let him continue to work you into the masterpiece that you can become. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks. You are our master chef. You're a great and loving God. And Father, I'm reminded of the words in John, the Gospel of John, when you said that you did not send your son into this world to condemn us, but to save us. So Father, you are not interested in our McDevil munching. You're interested in inviting us to your table. And so, Father, I pray for each student, for each individual in this place today, 
But Lord, in these quiet moments, as you speak to their hearts, that you would remind them that you have a seat just for them at your table. That that seat is just for me, for that person. That there's a reservation held in my name because you love me so much. And that, Father, as we depart from this place, that we would go and that your spirit would linger in our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us, remind us today, that you would find ways to remind us that you are our master chef and you desire for us to become your masterpieces. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you're dismissed.